to work in advertising with WPP and media agencies and uh, attending off-sites and corporate sessions and understanding how the industry worked in terms of mergers acquisitions and the different roles of different functions of marketing, PR agencies, creative industries, digital agencies, was very much a world that I knew very well. And last year I spoke at a what's called an independent network. Uh, independent agencies are part of a global network uh, and they held their catch up in Dubai from all over the world, tribal global. And uh, friends of mine have an agency called Fusion 5, they were there. And also this week's guest and his agency, Light Blue, they were there as well. Um, I tell that story because, uh, you know, that event that they were able to put together is something that we always aspire to do with our company. And tomorrow, uh, on Thursday, which is why this is a pre-record, uh, we're taking 80 people from across all our offices across the region and all our team from Qatar, from Bahrain, and then our big offices in Cairo and Riyadh and Dubai. So uh, we're all going to the north coast of Egypt, Sahel, uh, and we're going to spend four days together, including a love in Cairo turns one party. Uh, so it's very much part of the sort of media creative industry to be able to bring people together across offices and uh, part of the culture and the growth of the company. It's something that we're massively looking forward to uh, and it's hence the pre-record, uh, but do enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week, we'll be speaking to David Balfour. He is the co-founder of Light Blue. They are a creative experience agency that has been the mastermind behind some of the biggest stunts and activations in Dubai. We'll hear all about how David and his co-founder started Light Blue, the creative industry in the UAE, in Dubai, and are looking ahead to the future of their plans. So, hi, David. How are you doing? Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, so tell us a little bit about Light Blue. So October will be 16 years old. I uh, started the agency uh, with uh, who used to be my boss, actually. He was um, the managing creative uh, partner um, at another agency. So I've been in the region for 19 years. And uh, as all great agencies are created in the, the back of um, a cigarette packet. And that's exactly what we did 16 years ago. Um, we are a creative experience agency. We look after creative services, brand activations, live digital experiences. We create new IPs um, and yeah, creating content for clients. There's a lot in that. Uh, I wanted to kind of touch on when you mentioned creating IP for brands, but you know, uh, on the back of a cigarette pack, like what did you write down? Um, <laughs> it was it was it was being very Scottish here. Freedom. Okay. Um, I think the the ability to answer a brief from a client without the expectations of from a, a bigger agency or um, a networked agency is understanding that you are you don't have to drive that client down certain channels. You know, so media out of home where traditionally the agency will will make their money in that those parts. We very much looked at what is right for the brand, what's right for the consumers, and how do we create that journey and what's the the narrative for for both? You know, how do how how does that brand and the can and the journey and the consumer connect better? So I think that's the that was a key thing for us. Um, yeah. So being 
being free was really good in that that sense. Okay, amazing. And did you come from, did you study advertising? Were you, uh, you know, how did you get into this and how did you start working? Were you working in creative agency yourself? I was, yeah. So, you know, being from Glasgow, um, traditionally in in Scotland, you have only certain big players. I was actually, um, I went to university twice. (laughs) <laughs> the first time was to do sports technology. Uh, sports technology? Yeah. That would be good today, wouldn't it? That would yeah. be great, right? <laughs> um, I was a, a failed footballer. Uh, I got petrol money from a, a League One team and I decided this isn't good enough, you know. Uh, and then I, I... That's Scottish League One. That's so Scottish League One. So yeah. almost at the... But that's semi, a professional still. Semi-professional. Yeah. And I decided um, I'm going to take a year out. Um, after doing three months of sports technology, I just, it wasn't for me. I, I, I just, I knew straight away. My neighbor had his own agency and he was just pretty much at that startup mode. Uh, so I got recommended, you know, did a few jobs for him, got into the, the know-hows of how things were um, moving within that space. And then I went to study marketing communications. In the middle of that, uh, I got recommended to another chap um, who's uh, a very good friend and mentor to me. Uh, he's now a, a lecturer at Edinburgh University. He started his own agency because at the, at the same time, Bass Brewers were going through a buyout uh, with InBev. And he was recommended to start an agency where they had, as they had a recruitment freeze, I was able to be recruited to work for Tenants Lager. And Tenants Lager was the first brand that I looked after for, um, well, at that time I was with the agency for five years. So throughout the whole period of time, I was on 13 different brands, looking after different activations from Tenants Lager, Scottish Cup, rugby, music, Tina Park, Tina Fringe. Um, festivals, yeah. All the festival stuff. And then Stella Artois with the tennis and the big outdoor cinema. So that's that's that was my foot in. That's how you cut your teeth and everything. And so I, I guess the creative advertising, because Light Blue is sort of full full service experiential and it does more than just answer a creative brief, but it sounds like that you were involved in that side of both side of things from the start. Right from the start. I I was the the link between the brand and the consumers. So my role at the time was we were called brand ambassadors, which is a very different role now, but essentially it was to make sure that consumers um, connected with the brand at live music festivals or at football stadiums or at um, the tennis. Mm. So that was really the start of being you know, within that brand activation space. And uh, you know, I, I was, when you said advertising in Scotland, I thought of a very famous name in advertising, David, David Ogilvy, who's originally from Scotland and you know where you when once you sort of figured out that you had a job and that you'd studied for the second time did you then sort of have a career plan and a career path or were you like okay this is me now I'm I'm going to be doing this for a while you know it wasn't until my father passed away um that I decided okay so I've done five years at this agency I was in Scotland having the best time of my life essentially I was doing everything I love, music, football, and looking after amazing brands. I was also traveling throughout the UK. 
And, and you, had, you were young, you had that energy young, for it. Yeah, <laughs> I could wake up with a hangover and yeah. go to work. And then my, my father had passed away and he traveled and lived in the US, lived in Brazil, was born in Brazil. And that's really when I thought, okay, I need to see more of the world. And I applied for two jobs. Uh, one was in Dubai with Heineken and one was with Glenn Fiddiff in New York. So that was a two interview pass, very different locations, very different types of roles as well. And Heineken flew me out and pretty much by the time I was getting on the plane, I got a message saying they want to offer me a role. Wow. And that was as quick as that. That was your first job in Dubai, so around 2005 or so? That was 2004, yeah. Yeah, wow. And uh, you did that on, and then were you there and did you like Dubai at the time and sort of what were your thoughts? I loved it. I'd been to Dubai once before, and that was in 97, 98, for an international rugby tournament. Um, our school represented Scotland, and we went up against, the first team was South Africa. We lost badly. <laughs> <laughs> and I just loved it. I thought it was really such a diverse, really cool space, and the the growth of the vision that they were selling me of what Dubai is going to be. So yeah, man, absolutely. Nice. Yeah. And so how was the, how were your first few years working there sort of pre global financial crisis? Uh, and what was advertising like here back then? It was very different to what it is now. Uh, I believe at the time, I mean, for us being at Heineken, we're a dark market, so there's not much we can do from an home experience. Or so dark market meaning that advertising for alcohol brands can't be, exactly. is, is, yeah, yeah. So not prohibited. A, a bit like what cigarettes is at the moment. Yeah, so it, you, there's no advertising, there's no branding. We used to use the star from the Heineken uh, as our alibi logo uh, at the time. Obviously things have, have changed now. And that was the, re the real reason why I decided to leave Heineken was it was two years in and I was writing the same brand plan again for the second and the third year. And I just thought, okay, this is, this is the limitations of working within the drinks industry at that time. It's changed, it's moved on massively now. We look after various different you know, alcohol brands. And what we can do now is we could never do then back then. And I got approached by our agency uh, as they were starting up Momentum into the region, which was a global experiential agency, offices in you know New York, Shanghai, London. And I thought, yeah, this is this is the more where I was before from an activation perspective, mm -hmm. and it allowed me to be a little bit more creative rather than like after just one brand. And I think that's what I missed the most. The, yeah, you mentioned before you had 11 or 12 brands yeah. down to one. It's just a difference, it's isn't it? It's a big it? shift. It's a big shift. And I loved it for that first year and year and a half. And then that's when you start missing the flexibility. And uh, going into back to agency land was great. I loved it. You know, it was, it was exciting. It was part of the MCN network. Um, they were great uh, with me and the team. And, you know, they um, kind of wished us well as we kind of moved on. Uh, and when you say kind of we moved on, that was the the cigarette package. <laughs> that, was the, that was the freedom piece. And so you, you you must have set it up around 2008, 2009. 2007. So, yeah. So, yeah, so it was just six years. Okay. Yeah. So we just went into 2007. I was myself, Ian, 
working out of his back bedroom with a dog called Libby. And our wife would, you know, drop off lunch and dinners at really? time. And he was a creative albums client servicing and we just worked nonstop. Uh, our first client was PlayStation. They took a real punt. Good first client. Yeah. yeah, great, great first client. They took a real punt on us. Uh, we developed the PlayStation experience in the Mall of Emirates. And it, it, it was just, I remember vaguely now just working 24 hours my wife was coming you know here's some clothes go and change you smell <laughs> <laughs> so it was fun yeah because it, it, it was that real we're just going to do it whatever it takes to do what we believe is right for the brand and from an execution perspective and sort of thanks for sharing that you know fast forward now your service is sort of 16 years later it sounds like uh you know the world has evolved digitally but the sort of fundamentals of experiential brand marketing are sort of still there. Is that is the essence of what Light Blue was back then? Is it still still similar in, in what it you set out to do? Is absolutely at the core of what we do. We you know we've we've created um, Web three experiences. Even the experiences within the Web three is based on a live experience. What do consumers want? How do they want to be engaged? How can we ensure that they are interested in the product, the the space, the activation? We do exactly the same online. Mm. So that's really key for us. Even so that we're you know, redesigning our website, it's been seven months. That's how particular we are within our, our own work. Um, and it's I think that's what makes us different. It's, it's, it's I guess, our secret sauce that we you know, sprinkle across our clients. And we try to have fun. We try to make sure that whatever we're designing, whatever we're watching really becomes an extension of us as a team. So, you know, ensuring that we have the right type of, um, the right team in place with our mentality, the culture that we, we have within the agency is really important for us. And how has the agency grown over the years in terms of numbers? We... We've actually reduced numbers to where we were as a as a peak. Um, I think COVID that 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 was the the switch. That was for us. Uh, you know, we had multiple different teams in client servicing, production, creative uh, support staff as well. We we looked at the model of how and what we need to do in in our space. We identified different areas within the business that was lacking and we identified different parts of the business that wasn't functionally correct. It was a great output, but financially it didn't make sense. We then invested in a fantastic system uh, called accountability, uh, which is our financial system, which allows us to track uh, how the team operate from a billing perspective, what's a good client, what's not a particularly good revenue client. Uh, you know, we talk about Good revenue by revenue makes you famous, and that's how we pre-qualify. So we put in so many different processes in place, which then allows us to identify what which parts of the business was more profitable that we need to dial up, and which parts of the business wasn't, and we need to make make, make some changes. And you know, for for your business, what is the you know obviously you know what you're offering to a client, but how does that fit in? in terms of pitching and uh, the types of clients that you have. 
for example, in marketing, some people might be familiar with experiential marketing, and it's often sort of the nice, creative, cool thing you see online or getting the logo in other places on the on the back of shopping trolleys or something like that or in in nightclubs or whatever. But does does that mean that you're sort of you have a you pitch for a piece of creative business? And that you are on a retainer and that you work with that client all year round? Or is it more like, hey, we're a brand and we want to do something different. We have a pop-up, we have an activation, and we're going to work on an ad hoc basis? We do both, which is great. So we have the flexibility of having clients that are long-standing clients, PlayStation. We're still working with PlayStation 16 years, you know, down the line. Wow. Uh, and that's, you know, not only in the UAE, but across the Middle East. So recently we were in Q8, we were in Cairo, activating different parts of, of the brand. So for us, having these long-term partnerships, uh, it's really key. And then we also look for the brands that are coming in, into market, so entry brands. So sometimes they're quite interesting to work with. We look at brands that doesn't necessarily fit our model, but then the way we approach it does. So Mashrik Bank, as, as, as a perfect example, we were part of their relaunch of their um, Rise Every Day perspective, their campaign. And we put our spin on it and they love it. And we've got another campaign coming back in, you know, for COP28. That is really exciting that I can't talk too much about. So for us, there's big projects, there's smaller projects that we look at. Um, we look at what's relevant in the market as well. So we do automotive, we do luxury and fashion, beauty, real estate. Again, it's one of those traditionally we would never have touched, but the type of client is now working within some of these real estate companies and it's interesting for us to look at. You know, mm. so we're, we're tapping into experienced design centers and investor centers. So, you know, and again, we're working across the region on them. And the output, is it usually sort of the experience or are there sort of digital assets and video and other elements that you do as well and event management and things like that? Everything's connected. Yeah. So we would be a one-stop shop for that. We're definitely not an agency that, was, that will say, yes, we do everything. We don't. Yeah. When it comes to out of home or digital marketing, we'll bring in the right partners. When it comes to PR, we'll bring in the right partners that we believe is right for that brand and we'll make that recommendation. Sometimes we'll be asked to manage third parties and we'll do so. And other times we'll just say, here you go, you continue the conversation, but we would suggest working with X, Y, and Z. And what's the sort of, um, obviously, you know, the pandemic and you touched on it, uh, I had a bit of it, you know, there, were, there wasn't as many, hardly any <laughs> life experiences. Yeah. Um, but so what's your typical, uh, what are your sort of, highlight clients in the last sort of year and a half or what are the big events that you've worked on? Um, Puma at uh We've been working with Puma now for four years. We've got a fantastic relationship with them. Uh, Julius Baer, Art by. Oh, wow. You know, we had um, Rafi Ganadol creating his uh, Glacier of Dreams. So we had uh, an exclusive. It was the first time anyone had seen it within Art Dubai. We work with Glenfiddich, so we relaunched their Meta range into this market, which is their Uber luxury uh, range. And then 
Kirstner Group. We've been working fantastically well with Kirstner. So they are the owners of one and only uh, the Atlantis and Bubba Sham. So we've we've done quite a few different projects uh, with them of late. And there's always the new ones that come in. You know, we we really try to make sure that we are looking at our team and from a wellness perspective. You know, in terms of we don't want to overload the the team in delivering, or at least making sure that they are. Uh, from a, a wellness perspective, that we're looking after them. Yeah, we try to make sure that we have the right number of clients with the right team in place, and then I, I guess it goes back to the you know what happened at COVID. We now use the freelance market much better than previously, and I think the Dubai has changed anyway. From a freelance perspective, yeah, I will touch on that. But just so to, David, when you were mentioning the sort of art Dubai element, one of our recent guests was uh, Plan B events and uh, they're very much more of an event management company but uh, they mentioned as well that they do that type of event where it's an art uh, where it's like Julius Baer it's like someone like that mm. so how does it so where do you where do you step in and where's your expertise from a creative experiential point of view versus uh, versus an entity who's sort of hired to do event management yeah, I think that's where we differ. You know, so not only do we do the event management, we do the creative, we do the concept, we do the storytelling around what should be happening within the event space. So it's from my perspective, I guess that's where we were at the start of Light Blue's journey, where we were very much in event management, uh, depending on the client, of course. But creativity is, is at the heart of everything that we do. You know, no idea is without a creative idea. So if it comes to creating a, a metaverse experience or a digital twin or a content piece or a live activation, everything comes from creative insights and data. And originally you mentioned your co-founder was a creative director or so and you're in the client service. Have you always had a creative team, ideas, people in business? Always. And it doesn't matter what position that they're in as well from within the business, even finance, we have to look at, you know, from a financial perspective, how we can be creative to ensure that we are using the right partners. How can we, you know, it's, it's a tough market over there for freelancers and or suppliers. So how can we ensure that we are targeting them to ensure that we're getting the best in class mm. uh, service? So we put different models in place with our suppliers to ensure that we are then offering that to our clients. Uh, it's part of your values, that creativity. Yeah. Yeah. So even our client servicing team, they do a creative brief before joining us. So as part of the interview process, you know, we try to understand them as much as possible to see, okay, you know, what's your writing style? What kind of look do you like? You know, we ask certain questions such as, you know, who you're following, you know, wh who inspires you, you know, what's your, how, you know, what makes you tick? So for us, culture within the team and being creative team is very much, a, you know, everything that we do. And yeah, that's interesting on talent and you mentioned freelancers as well, but you, you, you're an example of someone who, entity here, saw that was talented and doing something well in that industry in another market and brought them over. Um, has that changed? Are you still look to recruit internationally? Are you finding more talent from universities and other agencies here or within the region as time has gone on? 
I think currently we are 13 different nationalities. We speak about 15 different languages within the team mm. as we speak. We have new people joining us. Um, actually, I think the next one's on Monday from the UK. He used to work with us six years ago, five years ago. He's coming back to the region. He wants to come back to us, which is great. Um, local talent has massively, massively increased and for the better for us, especially from a creative perspective. You know, we can see a lot more creatives, not just the traditional creatives in terms of art directors, graphic designers, but multimedia designers. And it's been a, a real influx. So motion designers, uh, designers who are maybe ex-architects who are coming into creating spatial designs for us. So we're looking right across the board. And what's really interesting is, is the mix of how it ticks. You know, so we have some um, artists within the team that will then work with a, an architect to create an experience. And that's really when it ticks. That's really when we're seeing something new and something different that the market has been used to rather than the traditional channels of creating an experience. Yeah, exactly. Because when you're doing some of the some of the examples that you gave, like say a Soul DXB or, you, you know, you pro you're probably given a space uh, measure by measure or whatever it is, and you can activate whatever you want there. Uh, usually interior architects are, are people who understand how to plan buildings and interior design are the ones who would do that. So you obviously need to work with different talents for different pieces of work. Absolutely. And, and I think that's really when it really connects with the team. Being Having an artist, having an architect, a production manager, a senior production manager, or a director in, in those conversations from day one. And then, you know, adding in the senior team, you know, myself or Craig, who's a partner in the business, uh, and then using our knowledge of what works from a consumer movement perspective and really understanding SoDXB is a perfect example. Throughout Soul, there's different types of consumers that are coming in between, you know, the, the, the morning schedule, the afternoon schedule, the nighttime, but it's the same space. But the space has to evolve, has to change to accommodate the different type of consumers that we've got within that space. So we don't want something crazy during the day because it's, no one's going to see anything during the day. So we have to create a different type of experience in the day to attract our consumers. And then the nighttime, visually, we have to change, you know, using lighting effects or different materials that allows us to to really stand out. Do you think that, you know, something like SolidXP, or I was just recently in Al Ula, and, you know, we often see brand activations in different parts of the region. Uh, and I'm always blown away by the quality and uh, the experience that, that, that customers and people attending uh, feel when they go. Like, do you think that we're at on par as other cities around the world? Absolutely. Sometimes, actually, I think that we are way ahead of other park markets. We delivered two different activations in the US and in the last couple of years. One was for Montclair, uh, launching their House of Genius um, in LA, and that was at Max Fuse, which is an, an unbelievable store. And you know, we created this experience, designed it, worked with uh, the team in Milan, the team in New York. And you know, looking at 
production prices vary in, in the US. So even when we delivered something at CES in Vegas, that was again a different price point because that was uh, in Nirvana rather than in California. Mm. Um, so we had to understand those bylaws in the US, but the production levels of what can be achieved in this market is much greater than any other market that I've ever worked in. And you know, we've launched April Spritz in the UK. We worked on April Spritz for three to four years across multiple different um, music festivals, uh, fringe festivals. We were at Ember Fringe and then in um, Brighton and you know, um, all the different all the different music kind of uh, events throughout those four years. The production level here. In terms of the, because obviously it's on a manufacturing country, but you kind of mentioned earlier that you might have had people on production and other events companies have do the joinery themselves. But do you mean that the price point is there or is just the scale of ideas and the kind of blank canvas that? It's the scale of the ideas of what we can do. Um, a great example would be, you know, when we launched PlayStation 5, we had two uh, skydivers, um, skydivers uh, jump from the Burj Khalifa, going around the Burj Khalifa at nighttime, flying through the address hotel, landing on Shakespeare Road. <laughs> wow. Can you imagine the permits you'd have to do uh, for that to happen in, in London or Paris? Or New York, wouldn't be possible. It just wouldn't happen. Mm. It, it was bad enough putting an event on in the car park where we had Summer Walker coming to perform on stage and we created the stage in the car park it was ridiculous the, the the level of permits that you had to go to and the hours of sitting in these offices and trying to explain to them it's not a, a live concert it's just an activation and this is what we're doing and we're showcasing all these different examples um that that's the difference we can do things nothing is impossible in this market be it in egypt Kuwait, saudi or here and the way, you know, the, the reason why we know you're not just saying this because it's your business is the way uh, things go viral internationally from here, like we, we see it, it's evidence. Every week there's always evidence of the rest of the world going, hang on, wow, look mm -hmm. look what happened there. Uh, but David, do you ever kind of, um, on the flip side of that, do you ever go to an event the day before and go, uh-oh, <laughs> is anything a bit last minute that you go, uh-oh, we've you know, what we had on paper sort of isn't ready yet? <laughs> it happens. It's, it's live events. We're used to this. And I've got a fantastic team that are calm. And I think that's the, 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 the biggest asset we have to Late Blue is the team. Uh, we wouldn't be where we are without them. The culture that they've built within themselves. We know there's something going to go wrong. It's live events. It's, it's impossible for er absolutely everything to be perfect. It might be a a slight change in creative, might have to do some quick adapts for social media, for our clients or content creation. Or it could be, you know, um, you know, we've got His Royal Highness attending, something's been delayed. He might not be necessarily on the scheduled time. Protocol changes, yeah. Protocol changes, you know, uh, we have to do a bomb sweep at a certain time and things have been pushed back. So we might have 500 guests waiting somewhere and they might be waiting an hour, they might be waiting five minutes. Yeah. So we have to be flexible enough to understand live events are difficult. It's about being calm. And what's the, so what's the biggest disruption to 
your industry, your business over the last decade or so? Is it digital? Is it um, this change in how people work, uh, you know, work remotely and things like that? Or is it that investment budgets are going in different areas? Uh, what's the biggest changes? I think the expectation levels of can we do this for this price point? That's the tough conversation with clients. It's worse now than it was? Yeah, I think so. I think mm. it's definitely got harder, um, which means that we have to be smarter. We have to ensure that we're designing from a creative perspective, it looks visually stunning. From an engagement perspective, we have to make sure that we are addressing all the different elements that needs to be done to make an, a, a live experience tick. Uh, freelance resource has been amazing for us. Uh, so we, 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 we utilize that very well. We have some great partners for that. Um, digital has always been part of our conversation. You know, since day one, I think 13 years ago, we had our first augmented reality uh, experience with Shivas. I think we, we were doing something in Duty Free where you, you couldn't do any sampling. So we created an augmented reality sampling experience. Wow. That was 13 years ago. Mm -hmm. we, we were literally you know, fumbling in the dark at that stage with an agency in Edinburgh to, to pull that together. But you work with partners that you trust. You know necessarily this is brand new for them to do. But we give them that trust and you know we trust on them and, and i think that's what works best and the structure uh, I, I know you we interacted recently when you were part of uh, an international network uh what was the network called tribe tribal yeah. yeah and you know i, I kind of remember sir martin sorrell previously of wpp saying when he was when he's building his new entity that it's going to be different you know that the number of employees might be the same but the network agency model is different now. It mightn't have as many physical offices, but it will still have the same reach. Is that sort of a, a reflection of how the working world and how people are more remote these days? Yes, I think so. I think it's also to do with the environment that you build. We are in the middle of moving offices. We've just found shiny new offices um, in, the in the Maastricht Tower, actually. Uh, so our client is literally 10 floors above us, which... Oh, we're too close. <laughs> might be too close. Um, but I think it's, you know, we, we do offer a, a work from home policy. We do three days in the office, two days at home. I would say 70% of the agency use it, 30% don't. Um, I'm one of those that I don't like to work from home. I like to come into the office. I like to get away from the children and any distractions of the fridge, uh, <laughs> mainly. Um, so I think... For us, it's, it's creating this culture, creating the team environment. We have you know, a, an amazing team. Every Tuesday, Thursday, we play paddle. I think there's about 16 of us in the paddle group. So before com coming to work, we go out and play paddle. Um, we do spin. So there's a lot of the people within the agency go spinning in the morning. So we encourage and we allow people, you, you can come in at 9.30, you can come in at 10 o'clock, you manage your time. So I think as much as what we can do is to focus on the people. And uh, if we can do that, then they'll come and work because they want to work together. They want to spend time in the offices. We don't tell them you have to, but this is the the operating model that we have. And uh, is that sort of, that sounds great. I hope all my employees don't hear all that, but it sounds great. But is that sort of a little bit to sort of, uh, you know, 
allow for the fact that at times clients are going to be demanding and there will be late nights and weekend work and things like that. Absolutely. And I think as long as we can look after the team, everything else will look after itself. We are coming into a very busy period. You know, this is our Q3 um, coming in October, November, December. I think every second, third day, we have a different activation going live until Christmas. What percentage of revenue is that quarter of the year? This year has been slightly different to last year and, and even the year before. We've been, it's, it's been quite challenging to forecast mm. when things are going to be dropping. We obviously we have our metric systems of we know when or what things are happening throughout the year. Uh, you know, you art to buy, we know that happens at a certain time. So DXB, we know that happens at a certain time. Uh, Middle Beast, we know that happens at a certain time. So, you know, there's that base layer of, okay, we can, we can staff up or we have our own staff. Mm. During the summer, you know, it's very much, a, or pre-summer is very much a, a pitching season. So this is when we, you know, we sit down as a team, pre-qualify, is this the right type of client? Is this the right type of opportunity for us? Is this something that we want to get involved with? Is it an interesting type of project? We then spend the next four, five, six, seven weeks working on those different pitches, pitching, delivering, you know, being awarded hopefully, and then working out, you know, for us to deliver, which then means, you know, from an operational perspective, okay, we need to bring in, you know, X, Y, and Z uh, to come and cover or run part of the uh, the scope. But typically, like, that's sort of, the you know, when the weather's good here and when clients are spending what would be their Q4 budgets, typically that would be a significant chunk of business yeah. throughout the year. It's yeah. very active. Part. I, would say, I, I would say, you know, calendar Q4 uh, and calendar Q3 is the peak season. Mm. Going into calendar Q1, you then have a bit of a dip, especially because of Ramadan. So uh, um, January, Feb this year, there'll be, we, we've seen it already, lots of different conversations we're having with clients. Looks busy. And then Ramadan will hit, nothing will hit in the back of that. And mm-hmm. I think that's what we've seen this year. It was everyone crammed everything in before Ramadan this year. And then after Ramadan, it was too close to summer. So and the weather starts changing. So depending on, the type of activations that you want to do. And this is, sorry, this is only from a, a live experience perspective, mm. not um, creative, everything else kind of still runs, but from a live experience, that's the, uh, mm. the format. That we yeah. And sort of on the back of the conversation around, you know, uh, employees and uh, freelance and that, what about expansion? Uh, you, you've obviously mentioned you did some work in the UK and the US. Uh, was there is there a thought to be a regional agency, a global agency, to have satellite offices, or what? What's the sort of planning around that? So yeah, we we're actually um, launching our Saudi office uh, very very soon. So we will be in Riyadh uh, within next within this quarter uh, essentially. We have got plans for further expansion. We actually pre COVID, uh, I was making the move to Los Angeles. Uh, to open up light blue there and that's where we did Montclair and, and CES and we picked wow. Charlotte Tilbury as a client and then a culture trip as a client and but then COVID hit. Travel and, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> uh and that's really where it was a case of my visa wasn't in place at the time. I think I need to come home before my wife divorces me. <laughs> 
and then COVID, and then COVID. LA doesn't happen, and it's been replaced by Riyadh. And it's been replaced by Saudi. Mm. You know, during COVID, Saudi was really the, the one that re- propelled us into maintaining everything that we would have lost throughout the year from a, a live experience. And there wasn't, it wasn't a case of having to pivot. It was just a case of focusing on what we do best. Mm. And, and you mentioned Middle Beast, and that's music back to what you used to do. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Which is something that the team love. It's 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 hard work. It's not easy. Uh, great great client uh, to work with the team uh, essentially, and you know we deliver um, some great work for them. And so the, over sixteen years, you've you've remained independent, mm-hmm. uh, and you're part of it, a sort of a, a network, but. Uh, is that by plan? Is that by design? Uh, and what are your views on that? Absolutely by plan and design. I We've been approached many times throughout the, the 16 years. And it's still my desire to be as independent as possible. Uh, joining Tribe Global seven years ago, which is an independent network of agencies. We have 54, 55 agencies and partners throughout the world. We're in a hundred cities around the world. So even though, and we're all independently owned, I sit on the board and for us it's about, you know, knowledge sharing rather than, uh, here's my numbers. You know, it's, it's, we've created the Tribe Academy, which is a a learning platform. Uh, I have a, I mentor, um, the Rising Stars program. So we created the Rising Stars program. We have eight amazing people from all walks of life. Uh, and backgrounds from Portland to uh, Belgium to Dubai. So again, we, we're creating and allowing them to work together. Um, and you know, we, uh, again, I think when we first properly met was at the Tribe Open event at the TikTok Lounge. This year, we're going to be in New York, so we have our annual meeting in New York. We have our Tribe Open event again in New York. Uh, this time I'm taking the stage. So I'm going to be one of the panel speakers. We have um, some amazing speakers from Meta coming in as well. So it allows us to really, you know, share knowledge within the industry, be it AI, uh, live experiences, uh, direct marketing, you know, out of home, whatever it may be. And it sounds like with 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 the language that you use and the uh, the way that you're an independent agency as part of a global network, it sounds like. You know the traditional setup of the advertising business is alive and well. Yes, no, no, for sure. I think there is there's enough competition for this market to keep us at the top of our game. Absolutely, I think, and we we thrive on competition. We want our agencies that we compete against, you know, on, on pitches to get better because that makes us better. We hate losing. You know, we hate losing a pitch. It's just, it's not part of our DNA. Um, you know, we will go back and review and we'll try to get as much information to reason why we might have lost the pitch. And we'll, we'll use that to make us better. Um, so for us, the opportunity now, even going into Saudi, where the talent pool of agencies that we're pitching against, it's not just from this region, but they're international agencies now. So it's got harder, it's got tougher, which means we have to get better. We have to really align ourselves internally to go, do we have the right team? Do we have the right personnel within Light Blue as it is for us to deliver this type of work at this level? Because we want to progress, we want to do bigger and better, and for that to happen, we need to ensure that we we have the best team. 
Do you think that, uh, are you bullish about the region and do you think that the maturity of your agency is an advantage or a disadvantage as we look at the opportunities of the next decade? I think the, the region is is absolutely thriving. It's just at which vertical is it thriving in? I think within our space, it's it's got tougher because there's blurred lines between agencies and the type of agencies that want to get involved because they see you know, the the sexy images online and the big activations and you can you I mean I can I can hear the conversations down the halls and, and the big networks understanding going, why are we not doing this? You know, why are we just doing this? Um so the competition's got bigger. Um and I think now specifically in uh, Saudi Arabia, the type of brands and the type of communications and the consumer, because of the age of the consumers in Saudi, really allows us to dial up as well. You know, there's a real want and desire to be first to market, uh, exploring new technologies, and having fun. Mm. You know, I think that's for us the exciting element is let's have fun. Brilliant. Well, really positive note to finish on. And it sounds like you're going places in the region. Best of luck in Saudi, and we'll follow Light Blue as the busy season uh, takes place. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks, David. Another company, we've had a few like David and like Lou in the last couple of episodes who sort of uh, the SME backbone of the UAE that, that they've been here, Dubai in particular, for 10, 15 years uh, doing their thing and uh, doing great work and being recognized globally. So. Uh, those are the companies that are sort of rising as the city rises as well. So thank you to David uh, for sharing that as well. Thank you to our producers, Shahir and Ali, who always put the show together. It's available as an audio uh, on Dubai Works Business Podcasts uh, across Apple Angami and Spotify and other channels. It's also They also are producers for video, so you can watch it on smashy.tv on web, but you can also download it on your smart TV devices or on your apps. We've just launched... Uh, our second full season of streaming local UAE sports for futsal, volleyball, handball. And we're really excited to announce that we've just added basketball, the Vice President's Cup taking place from the 2nd to the 17th of September across the UAE. So that's streaming right now. There's a 30% early board bird season ticket discount available for the year. You can snap that one up and we'll be back next week at 11 o'clock uh, on Saturday, on Friday morning uh, for a live show and it'll go out on uh, Friday afternoon as a podcast and then there'll be article in Love in Dubai about this episode on Saturdays as usual. Do follow Smashy Business for the tech stories on Instagram. This is of course a Smashy Business production as part of the Augustus Media Podcast Network. Mm-hmm.